I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevnik. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. We have Chuck in Oklahoma joining us today. Um, Tom, you want to kick this off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chuck and Forrest are with us, and uh, thank you guys for joining us. And uh, I just want to say I want to thank everybody for tuning in. If you like the show, let us know and let the algorithm know. Click the like and subscribe and the share button if you want to tell friends about this. And if you want to support the channel, you can do that. We've got a link in the description. So with that, I'm going to hand this off to Chuck. And Chuck, tell us a little bit about the um, – we'll start off with the Oklahoma Bigfoot and just kind of tell us a little bit about that. Well, first, let's let's go into that, what we were talking about before we started the recording with the uh, the ranches who shot a couple of them and buried them, because Forrest had some sure. input on that too. Sure. And uh, I, I think Forrest actually said something about she heard it on Coast to Coast, and I, and I think that's actually where I heard it as well. Uh, but I do know the area... And this happened, uh, I think, back in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Forrest, you, you might have a better date on that. But um, I, uh, I, I heard this story about there were two guys who were out hunting one night. And uh, this is kind of out uh, west in northwestern Oklahoma, almost to the, I think, part of the Red River was part of this, uh, where these guys were. And uh, they came across uh, uh, some Bigfoot. They didn't know what they were um, and actually shot them. And when they actually went up to see what the bodies were and what they had shot, uh, they actually ended up burying the bodies because they, they thought these things looked more human than they did uh, some kind of beast or something like that. So uh, they were scared that, there, there was going to be some repercu- repercussions from from what they did, and um, so that that's the storyline that I that I got on that. And Forrest, you might if you might add something to it if if you know of something else. Well, I think basically you got the the story correct. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, I, I do believe it was in the seventies, um, possibly early eighties, but. Uh, uh, this was back when Art Bell still had the show, and I listened to it. Like I said, I was traveling through Canada and <clears throat> up to Alaska, and um, the um, that's the only show I could get at the time at night. So coming in, um, and he spoke, uh, and it was in the Red River region, and the guy actually buried them on his um, property, and. He actually, uh, Art Bell actually had him on a show a couple of times. And um, at one point, he was actually going to take Art Bell out there <clears throat> to uh, the site, and they were thinking about excavating them. And I don't remember what happened uh, in regards to that uh, issue, but uh, there was uh, um, 
whether or not they went out there and the bodies were no longer there or, or what the situation was. But I know that he was on Art Bell's uh, show a couple of times. And um, the, the gentleman was very, very upset when they actually got up close to him. It was a male and a female Bigfoot. Right. And uh, <clears throat> that he was really upset that the faces looked uh, very human. So uh, he thought for sure that somebody was going to... Um, you know, getting for murder. Sure. Because I think that I think at that point in time he was starting to wonder if maybe it was just a pair of uh, individuals that uh, um, suffered from um, what is it like a canthropy where they they have way too much uh, hair on their bodies. <clears throat> so that's all I know about the situation. But I do remember listening to it. It was a rather interesting situation. Yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons why they didn't actually go out there and excavate is I think the guy, uh, the 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 actual rancher, I think got cold feet about it and and did didn't want anybody knowing where they were or or anything like that. And I I think you know like you said they could have got him for murder. Or at least that's what his mindset was, and uh, he didn't want to put that on his back, so to speak. Well, so, yeah, and there's no, there's no time limit. Uh, for murder so uh, you know if if somebody did come up and say oh they're human and they're uh, you know then he could have still been charged with murder right make an announcement real quick I forgot to do it when we got started Um, I'm working on a project folks and it's not book related it's not for the podcast and what we're looking for is if there's a family out there that's had a person in your family come up missing and you think it's Bigfoot related, uh, you, you could contact us and we'd really appreciate that. Tom, um, would you like to give out the contact info? Yeah, um, just send us an email to questions at creekdevil.com and the subject line say um, just subject line in caps. It doesn't have to be, but in caps, it'll catch my attention quicker missing that's all you have to do missing and uh and then just shoot an email to questions plural questions at creekdevil.com love to hear from you yeah we just like to talk to you briefly um and we'll explain in person or on the phone rather uh what we're doing so we'd really appreciate that folks okay let's get back to our discussion okay um i I don't know if you guys want me to maybe say something about what I'm kind of looking into or not, but uh, that's up to you guys. Yeah, go right yeah, ahead, Chuck. Yeah, that's okay. why we got you. <laughs> well, um, I am I am actually looking into uh, some stories that I've heard. Um, these these go back even hundreds of years, uh, but supposedly what's taken place or what had taken place that there was uh, a lot of Native American women and children uh, that were taken. And by these things, and I've, I've heard stories of that in several areas here in Oklahoma, uh, but I'm going to uh, concentrate on most of my stuff from, from tribal people because I, I'm pretty familiar with them and, and I'm, they're pretty familiar with me and what I do. So uh, I think uh, hopefully we can get some, uh, some, some information about some of that stuff. Yeah, very good. Chuck, I also want to hear from you because you've had some encounters and you have a lot of contacts there in Oklahoma 
uh, kind of describe in your words um, a description of the creature in Oklahoma. And then we're going to kind of compare that with creatures uh, here on the West Coast and other places, because there are the variations. And this is very fascinating, the differences. Right. I think, um, well, the best the best thing I can use is is what I've experienced my own self, and and I think that, and I've probably talked about this before. I, I've never felt like I was in any kind of danger. Um, I never felt like I, I I I never was in a situation to where I thought I was going to get hurt or whatever. I, and I've been really close to them in several, several different instances, uh, but talking to Forrest quite a bit. And I, I've learned that um, nine chances out of 10, I probably got pretty lucky uh, because they, they, they seem to be, number one, they, went, they, they weren't afraid of me at all. Um, one, of, one of the accounts that I've, I've told on your show is that when I was down in uh, the big thicket area, I uh, had one that was on all fours and he was probably maybe six feet from me. And, uh, he, this, this was a big one. Uh, even on all fours, his head still came up to my chest. And, uh, I, uh, I, I sat there and he was rocking back and forth like a, like a gorilla. Um, and force kind of talked to me about that toward, uh, force. You might, explain exactly what you think that thing was doing when he was rocking back and forth at me. Well, I think I told you at the time, I think you were a lucky man because um, you, when you get a, a primate rocking like that, <clears throat> what they're doing is uh, they're building up for an act of aggression. It's, it's not a good sign. And <clears throat> chimpanzees do it, and so do gorillas. Uh, and they are working themselves up in, uh, to a, I guess a frenzy is what you would explain it, a rage, uh, and uh, they're angry. They're not happy with you at all. And I think I told you then, I said, you just don't realize probably how lucky you probably were at that point. Right. And, and, and also, <laughs> uh, that same night, um, because of the cold weather, I when I went on the expedition, I, I wasn't prepared for the cold weather and, uh, I had already set up my tent and everything else. And what's crazy is that Friday afternoon, when we got there, the temperature was like 51 degrees. And by the end of the night, it dropped down to 20, 21 or 22, uh, degrees. And there was no way I, I hadn't prepared for that. And there was no way I was going to sleep in my tent that night. So I ended up sleeping in my pit pickup. And uh, I, I told you about that story, too. And my feet were on the driver's side and and I mean, on the passenger side and I was my head was on the driver's side. And I, I woke up for some reason in the middle of the night about, oh, three o'clock in the morning, I guess it was. And uh, I set up in the truck to look out the passenger window and there was a big face staring <laughs> in my window and uh had a snarl on his face 
I saw his teeth and he, I, I saw his, his eyes. I saw the whole outline of him just took up pretty much my, my whole passenger window. And the first thing that I thought of was, what am I going to do now? If, if this thing wants to get me, he's going to get me. And, uh, so I, I decided to lay back down and, uh, act like I was asleep and force. I, I think you had some comment about that too. Well, yeah, when, uh, when a primate shows its teeth, uh, you know, in that, what we would call a, a oftentimes a, a smile. And this is not, of course, now, I, let me preface this. This is not to be confused with what uh, a lot of primates do, which is called a fear grimace. And you can actually see the very the distinctive difference in the face. Um, but they will smile, give you this uh, toothy smile, and uh, more or less kind of uh, roll their te- uh, lips back away from their teeth, kind of like a, like a dog does. <clears throat> and then, and then uh, males will do open mouth uh, yawning, too, and show their teeth. It, it, that's a real easy way for them to display their canines. Um, and that, that's not a good sign either, um, you know, because what they're doing is, uh, you know, if they're basically telling you that uh, you want to do something. Here's what I've got to defend myself with. And, um, and that, that smile, and they're not telling you, Hey, I'm happy to see you. So um, I think the fact that you laid back down and, and did a very non-aggressive posturing to them, uh, you know, he probably, probably was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go on about my business. I've already let him know he, he respects the fact that, you know, um, I could be a bad guy here, and you know the fact that you laid back down was the the perfect thing for you to do. Right, and when I, you know, what's funny is like I waited <clears throat> for probably about two minutes after I laid back down, and uh, I never heard anything. And I, I never heard, you know, I you you would think that maybe I'd get a door slap or something on the pickup, but that never happened. And uh, after two minutes of of just sitting there as calm as I could be, I, I decided I, you know, okay, I've, I've waited a couple minutes. Let me, let me ease back up and see if he's still there. And, uh, sure enough, when I, when I eased back up, it, it was gone. <clears throat> and, you know, I guess, you know, like you're saying, um, he, he perceived me, perceived me not to be a threat to him and, and went, went on his way. But, um, <clears throat> in instances like that, you know, I've, I have had encounters where I've had stuff thrown at me. Um, I mentioned, I think once before about the, the horse apple being thrown at me and in my, my whole thought process on all of this is if they want to hit you with a rock or if they want to hit you with a horse apple in my case or whatever the case may be, uh, if they want to hit you, they'll hit you. But I think a lot of times they'll, they'll throw something your way or do something to say, yeah, I know you're here kind of thing. And, um, I've never, as far as something being thrown at me, other than that, I I haven't really felt any other kind of aggression, uh, while out in the woods here in Oklahoma. Uh, I have heard screams and yells and, uh, that sort of thing. And, uh, so I don't know how that relates to Will and Tom. I don't know how that relates to 
the way things go up in your neck of the woods up north um for the for the most part i i don't know of any aggression on me other than like the rocks I, i've had pebbles thrown at me um none of them ever hit me uh but they they landed all around me and uh the horse apple in itself uh that was just a eye opener that I think he was telling me, yeah, I'm here and I see you guys. And I've had instances, there's a big one up in uh, northwest Oklahoma that we have seen. We think we've seen him several times. And when I say big, he he leaves a 23-inch track. And I think he, uh, when we go down certain trails, I think he screws with us quite a bit. He'll, he'll, uh, we'll be, we'll be going down the trail and we, when we turn around to come back, uh, there, there will be a great big, huge tree limb that's laying across the trail that we we traveled on, and we think we've seen him a couple times. Uh, he's done the tree branch thing a couple times, uh, where he's thrown a, a tree branch in front of us or or in front of the trail or whatever. Uh, the only other thing that I <clears throat> that I know of that I have experienced myself, and I've actually experienced it with two other people is uh the infra infrasound thing which a lot of people may not be familiar with infrasound and and that sort of thing and and that they can actually do this but i in two instances i actually heard a, a growl and um when when i heard the growl uh i, I stopped dead in my tracks and in, in one instance there was two people behind me and uh, I was actually showing them some wood structures that we had found in an area. And uh, I, I stopped in the track, my tracks and I turned around and said, you guys hear that ground? And they said, yeah, we, we heard it. It was kind of a low, deep, uh, not very loud, just a, just a growl. And so when I turned around, um, I, I didn't know where I was, which was it freaked me out. I didn't know how to get back to our campsite. I didn't know what trail I was on. I didn't know what trail I needed to be on. Um, and we actually had to get a, we actually had to use GPS to get us back to camp because the people that were, that I was with, they didn't know where we were. And, uh, so that's how I got back to camp. And that really, that really freaked me out a little bit. And it kind of made me think, and I'm kind of getting off the subject here, but that kind of made me think about a lot of the 411 cases that's been investigated where people will be walking on the trail and, and just vanish. And I, I wonder if some of that is people being hit by infrasound in a location and get lost. I mean, I, I, I think about that stuff a lot. And well, here's, have, a, here's a couple of thoughts, Chuck, and I'm going to ask Forrest to kind of weigh in on this. Um, going back to the throwing little objects at you, I think we've, you know, in the past, we've said that that's them saying, we want you out of here, get out of here, and then it can escalate. We do have, um, and, and a lot of that behavior actually is totally consistent with what we get in the Pacific Northwest. As far as the vanishing people, um, we, we have one guy who we work with quite a bit, Kurt, and he's the 
only person I know of who probably is a survivor. Uh, he was out picking chanterelles. We've had him on the show. He heard a whoop. And he's at the time, he didn't believe in Bigfoot. They don't exist. He looked around. That was a strange owl. Goes back to harvesting more chanterelles. He got a second louder whoop that was very intense. Stood up, looked around. Still nothing. Okay, finally goes back harvesting some more. And he gets a loud gibber, kind of, you know, that sort of thing. And a big chunk of wood was thrown at him. It missed him. Now he had his uh, 300 mag uh, Winchester and um, he just got up and left. So I, I commented on one of our Q&As recently. I would love to be able to talk to some of the people. And in Oregon, it's predominantly mushroom pickers that just, Oregon and Washington, they just vanish. And it's not possible, but it'd be interesting to say, hey, listen, I know you're dead now, but uh, <laughs> what was it like just before you disappeared? What happened? Did you hear anything? Did you see anything? Um, but the closest we have to that is Kurt's encounter, who is a survivor. Uh, as far as the infrasound, uh, that's a good question. I'm going to throw that one at Forrest, but I also want to throw a couple of other things at her ask her, I should get her opinion on tossing objects. Do primates do that? And then, um, Chuck, you mentioned wood structures. Is that anything that any of the primates do? Because we hear about that quite a bit. Okay. Well, that's a mouthful, Forrest. Yeah, it is a mouthful. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, uh, sideboard this and say that, uh, and I think uh, Chuck and I actually talked about it, and I may have even said something on the show at some point uh, about this, but I had, we had, we had a snowstorm here. Um, well, it's been two years now. Um, and <clears throat> it had started um, all about 10 o'clock at night and we were starting to get some pretty good snow here. And, and, you know, Texans get all excited about snow. I know you people up there in Northern California and Oregon probably laugh at us, and uh, and Chuck knows exactly what I'm talking about. We just get all excited. Oh my gosh, that white stuff, you know. And you'd think after all the years that I lived in Alaska, I'd be sick of all that white stuff. But anyway, um, I had walked outside, and I do have a, a pole light right out the back door of the mobile home here. And I thought, okay, well this is all it's all pretty. And it's piling up on the, the railing, and I'm going to get a picture and send to my daughter out in East Texas right now and tell her, you know, yada, 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 look what I'm getting, and you're not getting anything. So um, that's what I did. And I was standing out there taking pictures with my phone, and all of a sudden, in succession, I get three golf ball-sized uh, rocks thrown at me. And... Um, Chuck, you, I think you probably remember me telling you about this. I mean, I was just kind of like, uh, where the heck did that come from? And, <clears throat> I mean, they just sailed up in the air over the top of the cedars and went kaplop, kaplop. And uh, one, of, one of them actually landed on the porch next to me, and the other two landed on the outside of the porch. And I just kind of looked around. Whatever was throwing it was actually hidden by the cedars. I couldn't see. Uh, anything or anyone so at that point in time I was like okay I'm through taking uh, snow pictures I'm going inside now 
all that aside, I agree with uh, Chuck. You know what, where I was standing in the light on that porch, if they had wanted to hit me, and I don't think there was a human out there doing that, um, they, they would have been very easy to have done it. So um, I think it, it, it acts just like a lot of things that primates do when they, when they start tossing, uh, tossing rocks, tossing wood, tossing feces. I'm glad it was just rocks that were thrown in that night. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a very primate thing to do. Um, and um, yes, chimpanzees are notorious for it. And you even hear about people at uh, um, zoos having feces thrown at them because that's about all they have in their cages that they can toss at people. But they will do that in the wild as well. So. Um, and I think, uh, I think, uh, Will, you may have had an account too of uh, somebody had said something about feces uh, uh, possibly being thrown by Dick. And, and pretty forcefully, yeah. I believe he said it, it hurt quite a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, um, not only is it smelly, I'm sure it's probably it's probably larger than what uh, the volume that even a gorilla or a chimpanzee would produce and and chimpanzees are the most notorious for doing it and uh you know i go back to the thing that you know and humans do it all the time and you see all these uh all, we've been seeing a lot of it on tv you know all these uh riots and such as that and people are always throwing things they're always tossing bricks they're tossing this they're tossing that anything that they can throw and um, so, I mean, it is a very primate thing to do. Apes and man both do it. Uh, <clears throat> now, I have not seen monkeys do this. I, um, you know, my favorite macaques, they don't, I've never, never seen them do anything like that. Uh, so it seems to be pretty exclusive. But, you know, you got to get back, go back to the same thing. You know, chimps are 99% of their DNA is shared with us. So, I mean, how much DNA do we know that uh, Bigfoot shares with chimps and with us? So it's only natural to assume that they're going to have very, very similar behaviors. So, um, you know, the, the motive behind it, um, I think it is just that to scare you off to, uh, you know, like they were telling me, they were up to something. They were doing something out there and they didn't want me out on the porch, irregardless of whether I was taking pictures or not. Obviously they wouldn't have understood that I was taking pictures, but, uh, you know, and just like, uh, Chuck tossing the, the Osage orange at them, uh, you know, you know, they were just uh, letting you know, hey, I'm here, and don't be wandering out in the woods and messing with, uh, you know, my area. This is my territory. You know, you can you can leave any time now. You know, I think that's I think that's the way they think. I, here's the thought too, uh -huh. because they're they're not all of the same, you know, age, experience, mindset, all that kind of stuff. I wonder when we talk about them ramping up behavior, if sometimes that rock throwing or object throwing isn't sort of a ramping up of a behavior. So they're kind of learning what they're doing with that. Well, I think you're probably correct there too, because uh, usually by the time you get, uh, and a lot of this too, uh, here's a sidebar, it's going to be juveniles, I think, a lot of times start it. You know, the, the kids are kids, no matter what, whether they're uh, chimpanzees or humans. And, you know, we see this type of uh, what we would call irresponsibly, irresponsible behavior in teenagers and young adults 
And then uh, it's the same thing with uh, uh, chimpanzees and probably the same thing with Bigfoot. You know, you get your sub-adults, your teenagers out there, and they're like, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. I think when it progresses and ramps up to the adults doing that, then that's when you've really got a problem. Because I think if an adult uh, starts chunking uh, wood or rocks or anything like that towards you, you've probably got a you've probably got a serious issue at that point. And uh, so uh, I'm not saying that one of them wouldn't uh, toss a rock or an Osage orange or any a pine cone or whatever uh, at you just to uh, you know just to alert you of their presence. And I'm not going to say too that maybe sometimes some of the stuff that they do at night. It's just out of pure aggravation because you, <clears throat> it's like I, I say all the time, you know, you see people that say they look at monkeys, whether they be in the zoo or whether on a video or whatever, and they go, oh, geez, you know, looky, isn't that cute? That is so human-like. That's so childlike. And then you talk about your, you talk about your children and you go, oh, look at that little monkey. He's acting like a little monkey. Well, you know, there's a reason for that because we're all primates and the same behavior it's not exclusive to us, and it's not exclusive to chimps, gorillas, or even Bigfoot, because they're going to respond a lot of times the same way that we would. Well, Forrest, let me let me ask you a question. Do you think uh, do, do monkeys use infrasound at all? Not to my knowledge. I have never ever heard anything like that. And now uh, I have heard that uh, uh, tigers use infrasound and um they actually use it in much the same manner i think that maybe bigfoot does and then uh stunning and they actually can stun their prey and even have uh their prey start walking towards them uh there is an incident in uh melanesia where there was uh um and i think these guys were archaeologists if i remember the story correctly um they were going down a foot trail and all of a sudden uh, the guy was <clears throat> removing his clothes in Melanesia. And he said that he remembered getting really hot and somebody, the other people in the troop heard the tiger growling, but he never acknowledged that he heard the tiger growling. He just started taking his clothes off and started walking towards this, this tiger that was growling. So, I think that basically infrasound must stun people or stun, uh, you know, the prey. And if somehow it works on something in that, in the brain that makes them act contrary to what would be a normal behavior, like hook and run, you know, the other, in the other direction. And they were at, he, this guy was actually walking towards them. And when they, actually questioned them about questioned him about the situation he said he remembered getting really really hot and uh, i know that if y'all remember remember back here and it's been i think about three years ago we actually removed some personnel from the um uh, embassy in cuba and they were actually <laughs> The Cubans down there, the Cuban government was actually hitting our people with infrasound. Right. I and that was, that. That was, yeah, that was something that they were actually saying that they were feeling ill, uh, nauseous, and they all had this heat sensation. So 
there, there's got to be something about infrasound that works on the brain, and I don't know enough about the formation and all the particulars of a, of the brain that uh, would cause you to uh, to do that or exhibit that type of behavior. So, um, you know, uh, I, I just that kind of leaves you at a, in a quandary as to you know, obviously some animals have mastered it, and it's it's only prey animals that do this. Now, I have never heard them ever talk about any other big cats other than the tiger using this. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's probably some soul out there that has decided to study that. And at some point in time, we'll probably hear about it. When we talked to John, our forensic anthropologist, he thought it was entirely possible that they could do this. Well, to, to be honest, I, I've experienced it three times. Um, and what was really strange about all three of these experiences is it, it was directed toward one individual in the group. Uh, the first, the first time I experienced it, it was me. And, uh, like I said, I, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how to get back to camp. And, and that was just, that was the strangest thing I've ever experienced. And Chuck, then, that's uh, interesting to hear you say that. Cause I had the exact same thing when I had my first sighting, I was out there with two other guys and I was the one that it instantly, it's like you hit a light switch and I had a serious uh, advanced case of the flu. And I was um, not only nauseous, but uh, it was it was hard to make decisions. Yes. It was, uh, yeah, it's kind of, and it lasted until I got out of the area, actually went down, got in, went into town, got a soda. I was great after that. Well, the other time that I experienced it, uh, I was with a colleague, and we were we were actually on uh, tribal land, and uh, uh, they had a there was a great big walking bridge that went over a creek, and um, I I knew they were there. I'd heard stories that they were there, and that's the whole reason why we went out there, and we started going across this bridge, and I heard a growl. And I turned around to the colleague and said, did you hear that? And uh, she said, yes, I did. And uh, I, I went forward, started going, kept on going across the bridge. And all of a sudden, she grabs me by the back of my shirt. She said, we have to turn back. And I said, why? What, what's wrong? She goes, I'm, I'm sick. She goes, I feel like I'm fixing to throw up. And so we turned around and went back and... At that same location is where, and I'm, I, I know I've, I've showed you the pictures, of, of, I took three photos of one that was in, it looked like a big kudzu vine, and uh, all you could see was his head. You could see his eyes, his nose, his mouth, and uh, I took three pictures simultaneously of that one, and it was a juvenile. It was a little one, um, and, and the third time I experienced it, I was with another colleague of mine and we had found this great big wood structure. I mean, it, it almost looked like a, almost looked like a teepee, but it had an entrance to it and a, and an exit. And he, he walked over that. He, this guy's a, a Marine and pretty tough guy. And, uh, he went over there and grabbed a hold of one of the logs to see how heavy it was to see if he could pick it up. And I turned around and looked at him when I did, he was on the ground. And I said, 
what's what happened? What's wrong? He goes, you know what's wrong. I said, you got hit, didn't you? And he said, yes. And um, but the amazing thing about that experience, we did not hear a growl. And I have a theory about that. I don't know if I'm onto something or whatever, but my theory is that the ones who put out a growl right before you get hit by infrasound, I think those are juveniles. And whatever mechanism in their throat or gut or whatever that makes them or allows them to do that has not formed properly in an adolescent. Therefore, they have to put out a little bit of effort as in growling because the one that that came and, and knocked my my partner down, um, we didn't hear nothing in, in that situation. And I think that was an adult that, that hit him with infrasound. So in two instances, I think I experienced a juvenile using infrasound. And then in the last experience, I think it was, I think it was an adult. That's the only thing yeah. that made sense to me. Well, and it's interesting because I think different people have different reactions. So this is kind of a call out. Um, what I've read on the topic is that it's still a kind of a, um, it's it's a it's a new area of interest in science. It's being researched, but this is a call out. If anybody out there is a uh, you know scientist or or medical person who's done the research on this or has some knowledge and would like to share it with us, you don't have to come on the show, but we would just like to uh, get some information. You can again just contact us. Questions at creekdevil.com. And to make your email stand out, just put in infrasound in the subject line. We'd, we'd really like to hear from you. Um, one other thing, I want to back up for a second. Forrest, um, what are your thoughts on, I don't know if I've asked this yet or not, but on primates uh, creating, like, you know, we hear, the, we hear wood structures a lot. Uh, associated with Bigfoot, and we're, we're still a little bit, you know, it's kind of ambiguous if they do it or not. What are your thoughts on, do primates do anything like that? Chimps, gorillas, macaques, or what have you? Um, macaques, no. Um, they, you, you'll just see them crawl up in the trees and go to sleep or, in, or on the ground or something like that. Chimpanzees um, will, on occasion, build a, a bedding area. And uh, on the ground, and uh, they have been known to have built bedding areas in um, the trees. Gorillas, on the other hand, <clears throat> do it all the time. They build beds in the trees, on the ground, anywhere it's, they decide they want to sleep. You know, of course, they're big enough that they really don't, unless they're a, a adolescent or infant, they really don't have any um, uh predators that are going to mess with them so it's not unusual even to see uh gorillas bedding on the ground and they will build these uh rather ornate structures to sleep in so um that's the, <laughs> they're the only ones that i've ever seen do anything like that um so bigfoot i know that there have been people that have said that they found nesting areas that they thought belonged to a bigfoot that and i've seen actually seen some pictures in there fair uh, fairly ornate um you know somebody put a lot of work into them and i've also seen other uh, uh you know standing structures that uh 
um, you know, are fairly descriptive and are, uh, you know, almost look like igloos and teepees and such as that. And, you know, the, the thing that you do have to be kind of careful of is, do you know for a fact that Bigfoot built that or whether was this something that somebody built out camping and, uh, you know, stayed in for a while. So, uh, you know, unless you actually see a Bigfoot building it, you don't really know sometimes whether uh, who or what constructed it. So, but And that's why I uh, was asking about if it's a kind of a known, you know, if, if there's a parallel in the, in the primate world building little, you know, wooden structures or messing around, you know, creating TVs no, and stuff like no. that. No, gorillas are the ones that really get into the building thing and they're, they're just, it's just bedding areas and, and rarely do they even sleep in them, you know, twice. They'll just, uh, you know, build them for that particular, uh, the, either the night or the day and then go on and, uh, move on to another feeding area and then when they get tired they'll do the same thing there so it's really that they ever actually go back and use the same uh bedding uh this you know a second time well will and i talked about this yesterday we we're thinking it's either that or uh possibly you know the giant eagles from lord of the rings are up to something oh <laughs> 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 Uh, something else you have given me to worry about out there. <laughs> the giant eagles, yes. Yeah, giant they're eagles. They're our friends. They're they're friendly. They're they're good. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I, um, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I've I've just going to ask you um, a little more on the Oklahoma Bigfoot. So go ahead, Chuck. Well, uh, you guys are talking about structures. I I have I have found and come across quite a few structures and uh some of them are are really unique um and we when we come across something like that uh, we we look for axe marks we look for saw marks uh we look for wire uh we look for rope uh we look for all that kind of stuff to see if we can you know to see if it's man-made or not and a lot of the structures that we find uh, on several occasions, we have found wire on, on some of the structures. And so we knew automatically that, you know, this, some guy did this or some Bush, uh, Bushman did it or something like that, uh, for building a deer blind or something like that. But, uh, in there are quite a few instances, we have found structures that, that are nothing but broken limbs. And, uh, these things are woven together. Uh, we found up on the Red River between Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, on the Oklahoma side, we found uh, a structure that looked like an igloo, and uh, they had it was made out of sticks. All the sticks were broken, and then they put evergreen leaves over the top of it to keep rain and stuff out of it. And then um, on the Texas side. Uh, the very next day, we found another one just like the one we had found in Oklahoma. And uh, there's no way you could have even found this place unless you would have uh, flown over the area with an airplane or actually just walked up on it because the trees and the brush in this area were 12 mm -hmm. to 14 feet tall. And uh, it, it was it was in there by itself. And why somebody 
you know, why a human would go into an area like that and, and build an igloo structure is beyond me. Um, there was no, there again, there was no wire, there was no rope, there was no cut marks, there was no, nothing. It was, it was just broken limbs. And, and they built it exactly like they did the one on the Oklahoma side. And uh, it is, you know, those structures are pretty unique. And when I come across something that doesn't have man-made markings on it, uh, I definitely take pictures of it. And, and what they use these for, I have no idea. Uh, the one on the Oklahoma side, we actually caught a heat signature inside of it. And... Um, actually surrounded it because we didn't know what we were dealing with and i think mom and daddy were close by because uh, we started hearing branches breaking and stomping foot stomping and uh they were whistling at us and trying to get us to get away from it and um we picked up a heat signature like i said and i actually picked up thermal uh on on thermal we picked it up and then uh i took pictures of of it before i knew there was anything in it and got eye shine on the inside of it and i think uh we all came to the conclusion that was there uh, and looking at the heat signature and looking at everything around it that this was this was a juvenile a juvenile was inside of it and um we got up pretty close to it and uh it just disappeared on the thermal just vanished and we don't know exactly what we our thought was that it uh, one of the guys said that he saw what looked like something go into the sandbank and cover itself up. So, I you know we find these these things out there quite a bit. Well, did you go inside to check it out? Oh no! Oh no! Mom and Daddy <laughs> was still there. Mom and Daddy was still there. We wouldn't we wouldn't getting too close to it. So. I, I was being a little bit facetious. I wouldn't get close to it either. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we, we got up, we, we surrounded it uh, because we wanted to see if it would, whatever it was, come out. And um, it never did. Like I said, it, this one guy said that it, he thought he saw it bury itself into the sandbank and cover it, cover it back up. So I, I don't know. I, I had a Native American chief one time tell me that that these things are the friends of the beaver. So I, I don't know. Um, it was really odd and really weird, but we've had in that particular area, we've had all kinds of activity there. Uh, got a thermal of a great big one, one night and had two guys chase after it. And, um, they, uh, it kept walking backwards. It would, they would get closer to it. And I, this was pitch black, mind you. Uh, they didn't have lights. Uh, we actually had it on the thermal watching, watching the two guys and the one that was in front of them. And uh, they would get a little closer to it and it would back up. And they would yell at us, well, where, where's it at? And I'd tell them, I'd, it's probably eight feet in front of you. And uh, they kept moving forward. And finally, this thing kind of turned and went down toward the river. And we lost sight of it. But uh, if we would have had a SIM card in that thermal, it would have been probably one of the best thermals I think I've ever seen in my life because these guys, you, you see these two guys creeping up on it and uh, it just takes a couple back steps and and does that several times and finally turns and goes toward the river. But it was, 
that whole area down there is a pretty active area. Horace, what are your thoughts on the behavior? How does that uh, kind of weigh in on that, if you would? On the on the uh, Bigfoot uh, backing up and then leaving, or uh, uh, yeah, well, being... what Chuck was just talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that you know what I think they they really avoid contact with us at at all costs because I think they've learned throughout the history with and their experiences with man that we're you know we are not we're not good critters and um and I think that uh sometimes these issues where we have uh, people turn up missing and possibly uh got by Bigfoot I think may sometimes be situations of their own making because they may have forced the issue with them. And I think most of the time they want no contact. That's why they stay hidden uh, because they've learned throughout the history of man, probably since the beginning of time, that we're just not good, good creatures to interact with. So it usually results in, in bad things happening to Bigfoot and, uh, They've also realized that when they do bad things to us, that it's not just one person that shows up. It's a whole big bunch of people that show up. And then, um, you know, it causes uh, problems for them. So the behavior of it watching and being uh, observant as to where the the individuals that he was uh, uh, referring to, that he was instructing while he was watching through the thermal uh, to move, you know, I think it was being observant and then uh, realized that they were getting too close and that there was going to have to be an interaction or it was just going to have to get out of there. And I think it shows to that, uh, you know, how does that saying go? Valor's the uh, best part of discretion or discretion's the best part of valor. I forget how it goes. But anyway, it felt like I'll just get out of here and uh, the, this whole situation will end. And it did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's kind of kind of cool that it just poof, disappeared. It it knew enough to I don't know what did you think it did, Chuck? It, it covered itself or it backed oh, that, out of that structure or that was that was the juvenile and it, it we when we caught it on the heat signature, it was actually laying on the ground inside the structure, and uh, we surrounded the structure, and when we did. Uh, this thing supposedly uh, went into this. This structure was actually this igloo type structure was actually built on a sandbank. And when it when it uh, when we got surrounded when we surrounded it, and some of the guys started creeping up just to see what they could see. Um, that's when this thing kind of dug itself into the sandbank and covered itself up. And um, so that's that's kind of how that went, but there again, uh, we we figured that's what we were dealing with because uh, mom and daddy were not fifty yards from us, and they were breaking branches and stomping their feet and um, whistling and everything else. So it it kind of that's that's kind of what we theorized and in what actually took place. Now the structure. Chuck, you said they, this was nighttime when you did this, or oh what, yeah. What, yeah, it was it was uh, getting dark pretty fast, and um, now the structure on the Texas side, 
uh, that structure had nothing in it. It was broad daylight when we found it. Uh, there was nothing in it, but it looked like something had been laying in there. And uh, we act, one of the guys actually crawled in it and just to see how big it was and what it looked like from the inside. And uh, uh, it was it was pretty impressive. Now, are those the only two that you found or have you found others? No, oh, I've found others. Um, up in northwest Oklahoma, we found a structure that was massive. And uh, what was weird, it was in it was inside the campground. Uh, and there was a, a bathroom there in probably 50 or 60 yards from the bathroom out in the, the wood line. Uh, it was real thick back in there. And you had to know kind of where you were going to even get to it. Uh, but this structure was massive. It was huge. Uh, we called it the wigwam because it was, it was built uh, very, it was very impressively built. Uh, there was a big tree there, big oak tree, and they had stacked uh, logs all around it, uh, and it was a big structure. Um, what's amazing about that structure, if we, we went back there a couple months later, and inside the structure, there was a miniature structure built almost exactly like the one it was, it was inside of, and... Um, we, we kind of thought that maybe they were trying to teach the young ones how to build these things uh, because that's kind of what it looked like. It was a miniature. It was almost like a miniature structure of the structure that we had found. And um, that whole area where this is at is a really active area. I've uh, casted tracks there quite a few times. Um, there again, a 23-inch track was there. Um it's just a, a really unique area. Uh, we found a, an area where the tracks were. There were baby tracks everywhere in this area. And uh, we, found, we found big old two to three foot diameter cottonwood trees deadfall that had been pulled in this area and leaned up against other trees at like 45 degree angles. And we called it, we called it the playpen. Because we think that the the young are being taught how to climb the trees uh, in that area. That's what it kind of looked like to us, and um, just really unique type stuff. And I know that I got a friend in Ontario that uh, that studies structures, and she's got some really cool stuff that she has found up in up in Ontario. And a lot of this stuff that I find is is pretty similar to the stuff that she finds out where she she invest does investigations. So I think this is I don't think it's just a Oklahoma thing or a Texas thing. I, I think that these things are actually doing this kind of stuff uh, all over the place. Well, I think you even remarked to when I sent you that picture, and I think I, I sent y'all uh, Tom and Will the same picture of that cedar tree that. Uh, uh, was in the original pen that Cagney, my dog, was in until we moved him. Um, you know where we used to, <laughs> where we've got the, the circles back there, um, <clears throat> and um, the, the cedar tree is. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, uh, Chuck? The one that's all bent down and flattened down on top. I mean, the limbs are literally pulled down and twisted, and 
they're hanging off the cedar tree. The cedar tree is still there alive, but the limbs at the top were pulled down, twisted, and basically the whole top of the cedar tree is flattened out, and it, it, it gives the appearance that something had been laying up there. And, I mean, this is not 30 feet from the end of the, the mobile home here, and I think that somebody, something was getting up there at night and actually sitting up there and well, it's big enough that there could have been multiple some somebodies or something sitting up there, yes. and are laying up there, and uh, they could have been watching everything that was going on in here in the my mobile home. And guys, let me, I, I can I can relate to what Kay is is saying because we went on an expedition in southeast Oklahoma at a a place called Ar, Arbuckle Lake, and we had we were sitting in the campground where we were camped out. And uh, about probably 60 yards from our campsite, I went back there by myself one morning and started finding uh, broken tree uh, breaks everywhere in this area. And we found we found a tree. We called it a sentinel tree uh, because there again, it was kind of like exactly what like what Kay is describing, where the top of the tree was was crushed down and there was a another tree that was at a 45 degree angle where you could actually walk up that that tree limb and get up there on the top of the tree and you could see our camp from the top of that tree he had the perfect view of our campground and uh i think we you know we think that's kind of a lookout thing that they do sometimes we're going to wrap up shortly, folks. Uh, kind of a cliffhanger in a way. Chuck, you got to come back and continue telling these stories. It's fascinating stuff. Let me announce once again what we're looking for, folks, before we end this. We're doing a project, and it doesn't involve the podcast or books or anything like that. But what we're looking for is if there's a family out there who's had someone come up missing from your family, and you suspect because of the odd circumstances that it might be Bigfoot related, we'd like for you to contact us and, and chat with us just a little bit. Tom, would you like to give out the contact info again? Yeah, absolutely. Just send an email to questions, plural, questions at creekdevil.com. And in the subject line, just put the word missing, and that will flag it for immediate. And when, um, and when you contact us, we'll, we'll discuss with you what it is we're doing. Um, Chuck, it's always a pleasure, man. I sure appreciate you coming on today. Yes, sir. Anytime. We'll we'll definitely have you on a regular basis in Forest. We always appreciate you. So, well, thank you. Any final thoughts, folks, before we wrap this piece up? Great show. And, again, I just want to reiterate what Will said. Chuck, we got to have you back for us. Always enjoy having you on. And... That's that's it. I was also going to say uh, I was chatting with Mr. Black this morning and he's, you know, again, looking forward to your questions so we can record more pieces with him. Uh, we're discussing with Adam, you know, about how we're going to hide his voice and, and uh, post these. Uh, he wants to do a couple more recordings here in the near future. He wants to discuss Dogman and, and a little off topic. Well, it is and it isn't. Uh, he's going to discuss what they did with UFOs and all that stuff, but 
Um, and the Dogman stuff relates directly to that. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But he's looking forward to questions. If you have questions on any of those topics besides Bigfoot, send them to us. Um, and that'll do it for this. Pit. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, questions at creekdevil.com. Put in Mr. Black. We have a few questions for him already. They're excellent. So, yeah, keep them coming. Yeah, I can get those questions to him, and then we'll record those pieces, and we'll get this together and start posting. So having said that, thanks again, folks, and join us on Tuesday for the Q&A. In Bigfoot history, near Orchard, Washington, early 1960s, a man from Orchard named Lopez told Roger Patterson while driving home on a foggy night with his head out the window of his car, he drove slowly around an obstruction on the road. It turned out to be a jet black creature, eight to nine feet tall, with a flat face and no neck. It just looked at him as he went by. Welcome. This story is being brought to you by William Jevening and is being narrated by me, Jim Sower. The name of this story, Two Tales of the Yeho. Curious Legend of the Kentucky Mountains, four or five versions of this curious and strange legend, come into my collection over a period of about six years, 1948 to 1954, from an isolated region of the Kentucky Mountains. At first, I did not know what to make of it, but having also collected a few versions of The Bear's Son, story minus the half-bear, half-man introduction, I guessed that this was the introduction now broken away and told separately. It now appears to be a distinct legend, since Dr. Archer Taylor refers me to the long search for American versions by Mr. Rudolph Atrochi. And now that I reflect on this item, I realize that, and now that I reflect on this item, I realize that it is not unique to Kentucky mountain folklore. During my youth in these mountains, it was not unusual to hear a rumor of some half-wild man, naked and hairy, being found in the woods, living close to animal state. This kind of Romulus Remus legend seems to stick in the minds of the folk, but how this particular legend made its way into eastern Kentucky is a mystery to me. The following version was taken down in pencil in 1950 from the lips of Lee Maggard, who lived in a small cabin on the south slope of the Pine Mountain Range near the small lumber town of Putney, Harlan County, Kentucky. He had heard it on Maggard's Branch, Leslie County, Kentucky. The Yeho. Once there was man out hunting. He got lost, and after a while, he began to get hungry. He came to a big hole in the ground, and he thought he would venture down into it. He went down in there, and he found that the old Yeho lived in there. There was deer meat hanging up, and other food piled around the walls. The man was afraid at first, but... Yeho didn't bother him, and he went toward that meat to get him some. The Yeho walked over and looked at the knife and said, 
Yeho, yeho, a time or two. He cut it off a piece of the meat, and he started eating it. Well, the man stepped over to the middle of the pit and took out his flint and built him up a fire. And the yeho watched him and looked at the fire and at the flint and said, Yeho, yeho, again. The man put his meat on a stick and browled him a nice piece and started eating it. The yeho watched him and acted like he wanted a piece. The man cut it off a piece of the briled meat and reached it over. And the yeho commenced to eating it up and smacking its lips and saying, mm, Yeho, yeho. Well, the man lived there with it a long time, and they got along all right. After so long, there was a young'un born to him, and it was half man and half yeho. And the yeho took such a liking to the man, it wouldn't let him leave. He got to wanting to get away and go back home. One day he slipped off and the yeho followed him and made him go back. Went on that way for a good while, but he picked him a good time and slipped away. This time he got to the shore where there was a ship ready to sail. He got on the ship and he looked and he saw the yeho coming with a young'un. It screamed and hollered for him to come back and when it saw he wasn't going to come, why... It just tore the baby in two and held it out one half to him and said, Yeho, yeho. He sailed on off and left it standing there. The version that Dr. Taylor refers to in my book, South from Hell for Sartan, is called The Origin of Man. Another version was given to me by this teller's grandson. It has the same title and contents, except that the Yeho has six children, and tears them all in two and throws them after the embarked man. Another text, similar to the one given above, was accidentally erased from my tapes. The following text was recorded from Joe Couch, Appalachia, Virginia, in 1954. He had heard it from his people while he lived in Perry County, Kentucky. The Hairy Woman one time, I was prowling in the wilderness, wandering about, kindly got lost, and so weak and hungry I couldn't go. When it began to get cool, I found a big cave and crawled back in there to get warm. Crawled back in and come upon a leaf bed, and I dozed off to sleep. I heard an awful racket coming into that cave, and something come in and crawled right over me and laid down like a big old bear. It was a hairy thing, and when it lay down, it went chomp, chomp, a chawing on something. I thought to myself, well, I'll see what it is and find out what it's eating. I reached over, and a hairy-like woman was there eating chestnuts. Had about a half a bushel there. I got me a big handful of them and went to chewing on them, too. Well, in a few minutes... She handed me over another big handful, and I eat chestnuts until I was kindly full and wasn't hungry anymore. Directly, she got up and took off and out of sight. Well, I stayed on there till next morning, and she'd come in with a young deer. Brought it in, and with her big long fingernails, she ripped its hide and skinned it, 
and then she sliced the good lean meat and handed me a bite to eat. I kindly slipped it behind me, afraid to eat it raw and afraid not to eat it, being she give it to me. She'd cut off big pieces of deer meat and eat it raw. Well, I laid back and the other pieces she give me over as she eaten hers. She was going to see that I didn't starve. When she got gone again, I built up a little fire and briled my meat. After being hungry for two or three days, it was good cooked. Yes, buddy. She come in while I had a fire. She come in while I had my fire built, briling my meat, and she run right into that fire. She couldn't understand because it kindly burned her a little. She jumped back and looked at me like she was going to run through me. <laughs> I said, uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble now. Well, it was cold and bad out, so I just stayed another night with her. She was a woman, but was right hairy all over. After several days, I learned her how to brile meat and that fire would burn her. She got shy at the fire and got so she liked briled meat and wouldn't eat it raw anymore. We went on through the winter that way. She would go out carrying deer and bear. So I lived there about two years, and when we had a little kid, one side of it was hairy and the other side was slick. I took a notion I'd leave there and go back home. I began to build me a boat to go away across the lake in. One time after I had left, I took a notion I'd slip back and see what she was doing. I went out to the edge of the cliff and looked down into the mountain, and it looked like two or three dozen of hairy people coming up the hill. They were all pressing her, and she would push them back. They wanted to come on up and come in. I was scared to death, afraid they was going to kill me. She made them go back and wouldn't let them come up and interfere. Well, I took a notion to leave one day when my boat was ready. I told her one day I was going to leave. She followed me down to my boat and watched me get ready to go away. She was crying, wanting me to stay. I said, no, I'm tired of the jungles. I'm going back to civilization again, going back. When she knowed she wasn't going to keep me there, she just grabbed the little one and tore it right open with her nails, throwed me the hairy part, and she kept the slick side. That's the end of that story. This is the end of the story. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open now.